All right, good morning, church. I'd like for you to share with the person next to you something very simple. Uh, what's your current job? And is it different from what you wanted to be when you were younger? And some of you, maybe you're studying, you don't have a job yet. Maybe you could just share what you're studying to be, and maybe that's a little different than what you imagine your life would be like working. Can we do that just with the person next to you? Just share what you wanted to do, but what you do currently. Go ahead. Okay, just as a, I just want to just get a kind of a feel for the room. How, how many of you guys are doing what you wanted to do since you were very young? Just a show of hands. Yes, I think I see a couple, two or three, four, okay. Okay, this is perfect. Exactly how I want it to go. <laughs> it would not have worked if 100% of you were like, yes, I do, actually. Because, uh, you know, even for me, if you were to meet the high school Jun and you say, hey, by the way, in the future you're going to be a pastor, I would have looked at you and called you crazy, right? Or more importantly, if you asked my wife and you told her, actually, you're going to marry a pastor, she would have looked at you like over my dead body. <laughs> but the simple truth of it is that life doesn't work out how we imagine it would, right? Life is a crooked road, the author of Ecclesiastes, wants us to kind of digest, right? Meaning it takes twists and turns that we do not expect, right? I want to just show you a little picture here. A lot of times, life looks like this. We have a plan, and that God's like, uh-uh, it's going to look like this. And in some of our lives, these unexpected turns and things that, you know, surprise us are sometimes a blessing. And I saw this on BuzzFeed, and you can kind of shoot that up. Uh, they were asked to share some stories of how they got married. And some of the crazier stories, one was a friend of mine met his wife on a roller coaster. They were both in parties of three and decided to be the odd ones out. So they got seated together, and after the ride, she ran to the trash because she thought she was going to throw up. And he ran after her, grabbed her hair. Her friends came by, his friends came by, and then, 12 years later, got married. There was another one I found interesting. They met on a YouTube comment fight in 2008. They were arguing over... Whether Fallout Boy was better than My Chemical Romance. Okay? Fallout Boy is better, right? 
he was from Peru, check this out, and the girl was from North America, and then through this fight, they ended up being long-distance friends, kind of dating, and then when they finally met in Italy, he proposed. And some of these unexpected turns in life, you know, they're kind of a blessing, so it might even bring a smile to your face. And then there are those turns that are um, painful, sometimes very painful and unexpected. An unexpected loss of a job, a loss of a friend, a tough diagnosis for a routine checkup at the doctor's, an injury, an unforeseen, unexpected one to a child. We've had close friends, right? who lost their loved ones. And sometimes it's like after a successful surgery where things were looking up and then all of a sudden, they're gone. One day your family could be just coasting smoothly. And then all of a sudden, just a hard turn right. If you're like me, we want our life to be straight, predictable, according to our plans, especially if you're a planner. But we all know this, right, in our brief time here on this life. And it's something that our passage reminds us of. That life is not straight but crooked. So what ought we as believers to do about this? Well, this is why our passage this morning is so pertinent and important. As we're going to look at some truth and wisdom from the author of Ecclesiastes about what to do when life is crooked, unpredictable, and at times painful. So, if you're following along, point one, when life seems crooked, we need to consider God's work. Look at verse 13 once again with me. It says this, Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. All right, guys, in geometry, the shortest distance between two points is what? Okay, thank you for the participation. Uh, I think I heard it. It's a straight line. But when you go up a mountain, do you take like one path straight up? You don't, right? Rather, kind of like this picture, you kind of go back and forth, back and forth, because you don't want to fall off. But here's the thing, those turns make the journey much longer, doesn't it? And then if you have children and you try to go up a mountain like that, it gets frustrating for them. They'll get car sick. They're complaining why it's taking so long. It could be more exhausting and sickening. But we realize the reason why that is, because it's the safest path up to our destination. And Solomon says, this is exactly like how our lives work. It is crooked, not straight for a purpose. Now, the word crooked here is not referring to something that is morally sinful or evil. I want you to realize, because God could never be the author of evil. But rather, the author of Ecclesiastes is saying he's talking about something that's unexpected trouble or difficulty in life. We wish that we could change, but cannot alter because it happens to all of us, right? 
In verse 13, Solomon just gives us a very rhetorical question. He says, who has the power to straighten out what God has made crooked? And the answer, of course, is no one. Things are the way that God wants them to be. We do not have the ability to overrule what God has in store for our lives. This is what one theologian in his commentary said, this is the impossibility of altering or defeating the purposes of God. We cannot change it. We don't have the power to. You know what's interesting about chapter 7, this verse, is that in chapter 1, verse 15, Solomon already shared this truth. And in chapter 7, he's quoting it again. So I just want to show it to you. In Ecclesiastes 1.15, Solomon already told us, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. What is the difference between what he shares in chapter 1 and here in chapter 7? Anyone? He adds one phrase. And that phrase simply is this. Consider the work of God. You know what's interesting about that? In chapter 1, he takes God out of the picture. He was looking at the world without God and telling us how meaningless it all is. But here in chapter 7, he brings God back into the picture. And he's looking at the world according to God, and he's putting both the straight things and the crooked things in life under the sovereignty of God. And saying, my brothers and sisters, believers in, in God, you need to learn to do this. When life takes those unexpected turns, we need to consider the work of God. That word consider in the Hebrew is ra'ah which means to carefully inspect, to ponder and meditate upon. Why? Because what Solomon is saying, and this is a great reminder for us, is that in the unexpected turns of life, you need to know that God is working. Amen? Say this to your neighbor. God is working. He is sovereign. And although life gets messy and painful, we need to know that God is working. To consider God and who he is and what he has already done and what he will do on our behalf. Here's uh, three Bible verses I just kind of want to share it with you. That kind of reminds us of God's work in our lives. In Proverbs 16.1 it says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.9, it says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God determines it. We have plans, but it is he who determines. And then we know this, we share this a lot, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. See, this is truth that Solomon knows and has seen in the world and even in his own life. He's saying life apart from God is meaningless and painful in the unexpected turns of life. But with God, when we consider that God is working, even the painful times make sense. So consider it, ponder upon it, meditate. And sometimes it's very difficult to digest that, but that God is sovereign in our lives.
You know why this is so important? Because sometimes we have the tendency to focus just simply on the results, on the circumstances. And it trips us up because our definition of good changes, right? Have you ever had that in your life? It happens to me all the time where something is good and then like six months later, it's bad. Has that happened to you, right? For example, this is kind of silly, but uh, a couple of the brothers, six of us, seven of us, this past week, we went to go eat all-you-can-eat sushi. Pastor Steve was there as well. So we went to eat all-you-can-eat sushi. I haven't eaten all-you-can-eat sushi since, like, college. It is a bad idea, okay? <laughs> so we go to this restaurant. And, you know, it's one of those things where you get three rounds, and you could order as much as you want. So we get there. We're all hungry. And you know how this goes. So the first round, like, we're, like, it's like too much, right? So we, we're writing like seven this, 11 this, and right? And it's just, so we write it, and then it starts coming out. So that, that, that tray you saw was like 15% of our first round order, okay? So it comes out, we start eating. And you know how it is. The first few, because you're hungry, you're like, this albacore is out of this world. You got to try this, right? And so that's kind of our conversation. So we start eating, but more and more comes out. But it's coming out kind of slow. So then someone has a bright idea, let's, let's order the second round before our first round finishes. So we're still hungry. So we start writing, seven this, 12 this, the 10 this. So then we send in the second order. But we start coming and the first order, the first round starts to end. And I didn't verbally say this, I probably should have, but I was like, dude, I'm full. I'm done. All right, end the first round, I'm done. But the second starts coming out. Right? And you know how this is. You're just like, oh, it was so good. And then you start moving, the barometer changes, and then it gets to the point where you're like, I'm about to throw up. <laughs> it's just, is this too much? So there's a point where people, the seven of us, oh, and Bobby left. He's like, I have worship practice. So he left. So there's only six of us left. And now we're trying, we're grinding this round two out. And there's a period where we have 25 pieces left around there. And literally, I was like, if I eat one more, I'm going <laughs> to, that disgusts me right now as I'm looking at this. And if you know me, I love sushi, right? But I was like, if I eat one more piece, I am going to throw up, right? So then we're all looking at each other. And our brother, dear brother Scott, he's the only one. He's just like, all right, I was in charge of writing it. I'm got, so he's, he's grinding out a piece by piece. And then this was like the moment where it went all wrong. <laughs> We're finishing. There's like 20-some pieces left. And then the waitress brings 40 pieces of salmon out. You should have seen the look on Pastor Steve's face. And then he looked at her and said, we didn't order this. <laughs> so she goes, uh, okay. So she checks our order, comes back and says, you did order this. She puts it on her plate. I'm like, we, we need a miracle. Like, we need a miracle. There's no way to accomplish this. At that restaurant, I won't say what the restaurant is, they charge you $1 for every piece you don't finish. So Pastor Steve's like, just put one on your plate. Just act like we ate it. So then we start doing stuff that college students used to do. You remember? <laughs> hey, give me your miso soup. Just, just give it to me. And just throw tuna in there, okay, just mix it up, right? There was four pastors there. I am so embarrassed to share this. 
okay? Hey, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do, okay? But here's the thing is this happens a lot in our lives, right? So when we judge and when we dictate life by what we think is good, what we think is straight, sometimes the straight actually ends up becoming the crooked thing in our life. How many of you guys know someone that is a believer who prayed for a marriage, they were so happy on their wedding day, and then they just wonder if they're going to make it past year 10. They pray for a job, they get that job, and then a year later, you're already looking for another one. You wanted a house so bad, you've been saving up for seven years. You finally have enough for the down payment, you pay for it, you get the house, and then a year in, you have a house leak, and you're like, curse this house. Why? This is why it's so important to digest what Solomon is telling us. To not focus on and to try to judge what is crooked or straight in our lives. But he's simply saying, trust, because you can't change the course anyways. Trust that God is working in the turns left and right in our lives. To consider that in the ups and downs that you are in, that God is working and he is doing something. And so let's trust and to think and ponder and meditate upon not only his sovereignty, but his goodness for us. Point two. God purposely gives us days of joy and adversity for our benefit. Verse 14, it says this. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Friends, we will have joyful days. We will have difficult, challenging days. God has made the one as well as the other. Isaiah 45, 7 tells us a very similar thing. He says, I form light, create darkness. I make well-being, create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So let's break it down. He's saying life is short. You don't know what's going to happen, nor can you change it. So when you have days of prosperity, Solomon says, rejoice, be joyful. It's a beautiful reminder for us as believers. We ought to be rejoicing, being thankful for all the blessings in our lives. And you have heard this, right? Christians should be the most joyful people in the world. But then you look around, even in church, and sometimes it's just not the case when it should we need to learn and remind ourselves to thank God for the many blessings in our lives, to not take it for granted, to not be spoiled or to complain that we should have more, but to celebrate and to be joyful today. You know, and I saw an Instagram post this past week, and maybe you've seen similar ones. It was a video of a dad uh, that was dancing with his five-year-old daughter at a, at a wedding. And, and the post uh, on the video, it said, this is two months before my husband took his last breath. 
you know, and it was pretty sad, you know, it was kind of emotional, I was watching it, and Maybe you've seen similar posts like that. But what caught my attention was what uh, the wife wrote in the Instagram post. She said this, quote, uh, We talked about trying to look at the little things that brings us joy and being grateful for those. The quiet cup of coffee in the morning, the sound of laughter out of our children, the feeling after a great workout. No matter where you are in life, take a breath, a deep breath, and think of the one thing you are grateful for. And then she quoted this placard that I guess she hung up in her house. And this is the quote. It says this, if we woke up today with only the things we were grateful for yesterday, how would today look? And it really struck my heart. If today we only had what we were thankful for yesterday, what would our life look like? Obviously, we shouldn't take it for granted, but Solomon is taking the next step. He's saying not just to take it for granted, but saying, no, celebrate it. Be joyful, right? Even for the minute, small things. Because there will be days of adversity that come. If you had a wonderful steak this week, you should celebrate that. How many of you guys played a nice round of golf this week? Right? You should thank the Lord. How many of you guys bought something, not because you needed it, but you just simply wanted it? These are blessings that we have that not everyone has in the world. Maybe your marriage is going well. You should be thanking God and celebrating that. Maybe you don't have financial problems. Parents are maybe generally healthy. Maybe your children are doing well in school. The Lakers won an in-season tournament. Hey, we've got to celebrate something. We need to learn that, yeah, of course, life is not perfect. But are we joyful when we're going through seasons of prosperity? Can I just ask a question and... Just a show of hands. How many of you guys are going, you would generally say, through a season of blessing right now? Season of prosperity. Anyone? Yeah, don't be shy. Uh, my guess is about 40, 50% in this room. I mean, if your life is tough, I don't want you to fake it, right? It, it's hard. But if you're going through a season where, it's, man, it's relatively stress-free, man, we should be waking up. And I want to challenge you this week. Wake up. Let's put a smile on our face, get on our knees, thank the Lord, and to say, God, I need your help to be joyful today in all that I have, right? Kill the complaining spirit that's sometimes within me and help me to be a person that just, just is just bright with this word, joy, so that others would be able to see it in me. Because, the second part, days of adversity will come. So Solomon tells us, in prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. That's the same exact word he told us in verse 13, but he gives us something very specific to consider. He says, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Right? Consider that God allows the good days and the bad days 
for a reason in his sovereignty so that we would learn something, right? He tells us to, he gives us a full range of experiences, good and bad, prosperity and adversity, so that we might learn that there is nothing after him, right? The Hebrew to English translation is a little weird. That's why it's hard to understand what he's actually wanting us to learn. But if you look at the Benson commentary, it says this, literally it means that we will not be able to foresee what will happen in the future to us. Therefore, we are taught to live in constant dependence upon God and not our circumstances. He's not saying be joyful on those days, although the book of James tells us we can consider it joy, right? There's power in Christ to be able to do that. But he's not saying paint a fake smile, but when life does get hard and when it is unexpected, we need to lean into Jesus because we don't even know what tomorrow holds for us. So we need to live in constant dependence on God to receive the good days and the bad days and say, God, I don't know where you're leading me. I don't know where you're taking this. But I want to just depend and trust on you. Do you remember Job in the Bible? You know, God blessed him with a wonderful life, right? He had 10 healthy children, incredible wealth and possessions, respect and power in the community. Uh, no wonder he was blameless and upright, the Bible says. And that is literally what Satan says to God. He said, that's why he's blameless and upright. So God said, okay, you can take all those things away from him. So Satan takes away his children, his wealth, his health, he takes away everything but his wife. Probably the one thing that he probably was willing to part with. Okay? I don't mean that as a joke. Okay? Okay. All right. That sounded really bad. But you understand why? Because she literally turns to him and says, curse God and die. After, after he loses all this stuff. What a gift of encouragement she had. So what does Job say? Lord, can you take her as well? No, no, that's not what he said. He says in Job 2.10, he says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He's saying, honey, we have for many years received so many blessings and good days. Should we not take the evil? He's not calling it evil, obviously, because he did not sin, the Bible tells us. He's saying the bad days as well. Let's trust that God is sovereign and good in our lives. You know, what's interesting is in, in my neighborhood, um, we have a park that the city pays for. So it's kind of a nice park. But our neighborhood is in such a way where it's kind of like, if you could imagine, there's two rows of houses, but it kind of curves up like this. So there's a hill up, and then there's kind of a park that's on the lower level. But we live on the top part. So there's a couple ways to go from our area down to the park. So there is a curved road, right? And then this is, right next to it, a straight path down. It's a dirt path. 
what do you think my son wants to go down? Right? So it's the same conversation we have every time we pass this. Like, we'll be scootering, and he's scootering, and I'm kind of running next to him. And we'll be like, oh, let's go to the playground. And I'll be like, all right, let's go down. And I start walking towards this curved path. Right? It's much longer. So what does he want to do? He's like, Dad, let's go down here. It's, it's very steep if you, you know. So I'd be like, no, you can't go down that path. It's, it's actually very dangerous. It's like, no, you can do it. I'm just going to take my scooter and go down, right? I'd be like, no. And then I finally convince him, let's just go down this curved path. And guess what he wants to do? He wants to scooter down this path, right? It's all rough and jagged, and there's like a little water, uh, you know, stream situ- situation there. And I was kind of thinking about that, and I realized that that's kind of this in a nutshell. Solomon is saying so many times in our lives, we just think we know better than God. And we say, God, why can't you just give me the straight path? This is the plan that I want and I had in mind. Why this? And I'll be frank, uh, you know, even for me, I'll look at this passage, and, I, and, you know, this is just me, maybe you. I'll look at this, and I'll be like, oh, that's all good and well, God. But, hey, for me, yeah, give me a straight path. Or maybe a path that's, like, kind of a little bit, you know? Not, not, not the big stuff. That's for other people. Like, for me, just give me, I, I, yeah. And you start thinking, like, why can't he just do that? Why can't he just give me a straight life? Well, this is kind of what it I wanted us to kind of really digest. He does this because he loves us. He has the best in mind for us. Because I know this about myself. Because I would never fully depend on Jesus if my life was perfect. Because I would never realize that I need Jesus so much in my life if There were no downs, but only ups. I know this about myself, that I would maybe never bow my knee and make him the king of my life if everything was just fine in my life. So God works gives us the crooked path and he uses it to straighten the crooked heart in our lives into a straight one in his grace my friends I don't know where you are and maybe you are really in a season or you've gone through a season it's just quite difficult and you have a hard time wrestling with something like this where the word of God tells you that just consider that God is working And as you hear this, you're like, okay, great. But you don't know the struggles that I've been going through. Well, God knows. And the Bible tells us that not only does he know, but he loves us and he's doing it for our good. My last encouragement is, as Pastor Steve shared, in Solomon and all his wisdom, He knows that living life when it's so up and down, when it's unexpected, it's very difficult. So my last kind of word of encouragement is I want you to join some sort of 
community, accountability group. We have an opportunity today because there will be moments when life gets so difficult and it will be challenging for you to consider that God is doing something. And how wonderful it is when we have brothers and sisters that surround us, come to our aid, who can cry with us, and then when we need to hear it, to say, hey, hey, you can focus on God. God is doing something. I'm praying for you. So I wanted to end just with this passage. So do you mind just kind of maybe closing your eyes and just kind of soaking this in? Solomon, in all his wisdom in Ecclesiastes 4, says this. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Talking about a man going through very devout and toil. He says, this is also vanity and an unhappy business. But two are better than one, because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I pray that we would all have someone that could lift us up when our spirit is down. To celebrate with us and to encourage us to be joyful in the good days. And to pray with us, to cry with us, and to support and to encourage us to consider what God is doing in the crooked days. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. Even in your own life, you had a crooked road that led you to the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet you consider the work and plan of God greater than your own desires. You trusted God's sovereign plan to walk and to receive not only the good, but the bad. And you took on all our crookedness and sinfulness in the world and you made it so that now, one day, you would make all things straight. We can trust you not only in the past, but we can trust in what you will do. I pray a special prayer for my dear brothers and sisters who are going through a really challenging time. Who are going through adversity that is almost breaking them. And maybe hearing words like this is very difficult. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and minister and plant this word in their heart. Bear spiritual fruit that they would be able to walk in a way that you tell us to in Ecclesiastes 7. It's only by your grace. And so we thank you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen.